0: Hello again, and welcome to Crosswinds, a series of conversations with America's healthcare leaders produced by the Visient Research Institute. I'm Tom Robertson, Executive Director of the Institute, and I'm pleased to welcome back Will Fernani, the Chief Executive Officer of the University of Alabama at Birmingham Health System. Will and I left off last time discussing his ideas related to rural healthcare. Today, we'll pick up where we left off. Will, thanks again for being back. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. One of the things, Will, that I was most taken by in our last conversation, you started to talk about an idea in Alabama that you guys are thinking about with respect to global budgeting. And Kevin Sowers, uh, a colleague of both of ours from Johns Hopkins, uh, had told me that he felt very strongly that global budgeted revenue gave him the ability to be more creative and to think long-term in healthcare solutions rather than Uh, making short-term decisions. What do you think about the prospect for uh, a more globally established revenue stream rather than the, the current system that we have?
1: I haven't given a lot of thought to how that would work in an urban area. But in a rural area, I totally agree with Kevin. If you had global budgeting with rural hospitals, they would stop spending all their time and effort just trying to stay open and be able to provide care uh, that's really needed for that area. I I believe that CMS has now recognized this also. That's why they have the CHART program in place. Uh, Those applications will be due in the next few months, and they would allow uh, 15 states, I believe they're going to do those for 15 states, to implement a type of global budgeting in their state. Uh, UAB is actually the sponsoring organization for Alabama to do that.
0: You know one of the things that we recently found in our most recent research, and you probably recall having seen it uh, a week or two ago we were uh, we were taken by the fact that there are a lot of surgical programs in the country that are operating at low volumes in fact they're they're operating below published uh, proficiency thresholds. That kind of ties into your concern about hospitals that are struggling. Uh, economically and feel compelled to do things that perhaps would be better off done someplace else. Do you think that if we moved in the direction of global budgeting, that we might alleviate the pressure on smaller hospitals to uh, chase surgical program development that, uh, that might be better done uh, in a larger setting?
1: Absolutely. All hospitals, the first thing they do is try to keep a margin. Uh, whatever they need to do to do it. And we may be better off if we didn't have, take that back, we would be better off if we could take a uh, approach that was long-term and what was best for the population.
0: You know, it's pretty well established, or at least it's it's widely believed that the pandemic highlighted health inequities. I know that that's a concern of yours at a personal level. What is UAB doing to address the, uh, the problem of healthcare inequities?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm extremely proud of what UAB Medicine's doing in this area. We just hired, uh, he actually just started, our first uh, vice president for community health equity. And his singular role is to address uh, these problems throughout our service area. We also took over the care and operation of the county, the Jefferson County's Uh, indigent care fund, and clinic. So, we're now taking care of uh, the people in Jefferson County who don't have, don't qualify for Medicaid and are uninsured. And third thing we're doing uh, is we have a program which involves the whole university called Healthy Alabama 2030. And this program is uh, for the whole state of Alabama. One thing that most people know about Alabama is in most health indices, whether it's smoking, diabetes, kidney disease, you can go on and on, stroke. We're in the bottom, uh, you know, 49, 48, 47 in the country. Healthy Alabama 2030 is a program to move our health indices into the 30s by 2030. So, if we can be 39 or 38 or 37 in in America, and we're doing that through addressing issues like food deserts, uh, healthy exercise, healthy diets. It's a statewide program, and finally, one unique thing that we've done is the state of Alabama legislature funded the Alabama Genomics Initiative, and we are uh, taking the full genomes. Of ten thousand Alabamians throughout the state, in every county, and developing a genetic profile of Alabama, and we'll use that to improve our treatment of uh, our minority populations in Alabama. So we're heavily invested in addressing health inequities.
0: That's great to hear. We always struggle, it seems, as a country with the uh, the confluence of socioeconomic challenges and and medical needs, and, and it's impossible to pull those apart. One of the things that I've uh, grown to appreciate is the importance of mental health in any effort to try and smooth the inequities of health disparities. What do you think we might do as a as a healthcare system to improve mental health care?
1: For both mental health and the issues on health inequities that we just talked about, there's no funding for it this is why when you talked about global budgeting, it would be so important. The reason UAB is investing in health inequities is it's the right thing to do. But it's clearly there's no money behind it. It's on top of the margin. Mental health is a problem in that there are not only not enough beds, there are not enough resources, there's not enough money for it, that if we don't address it in a broader societal manner, we will not be able to change both these health inequities or really impact uh, population health, particularly with COVID. Our mental health statistics are off the chart bad and getting worse.
0: It's interesting that you raised the question of, at a, a macro level, some of the problems that we're experiencing as a country. If I could ask you a macro question, what do you think we get particularly wrong as an industry, and what could we do differently to, to do better?
1: Well, why I don't like to say it, we're in the sickness industry, not in the health industry. We primarily get our resources when we care for someone sick. It's the back to the payment mechanism you were addressing. And I think the main thing we get wrong as, as leaders in healthcare is our own personal responsibility in keeping costs down. For most administrators, the goal is to get the best rates we can from the payers for our hospitals. So the two things I would do to make things better is I would invest in public health and education. Every dollar we spend in these two areas will have a better impact, a far better impact on health of this nation than any dollar we spend in, in the health care system. The pandemic showed this in, in clear light in the sense that our public health system had been underfunded for decades, and when the pandemic hit, it was not funded to deal with it. The other thing I would do is I would pay hospitals not on the care in the hospital are the care in the hospital plus 30 days out. I would pay hospitals based on the total cost to get the patient back to the highest level of life functioning possible. We consider it as hospital success. Let's say a person has a spinal cord injury. We send it a success in the hospital if we get the person discharged alive or out of the rehab hospital. But then that's not our responsibility anymore. We've been successful. What we really should be looking at is their overall cost of care until they are back to the highest level of life functioning. At UAB, we're actually developing a pilot program with an organization in town called Lakeshore Foundation, where we're going to follow patients and treat them for two years post-discharge uh, with spinal cord injury. Compare the total cost of care for us treating them over the two years to those that were not treated this way to the highest level of uh, life functioning to see how, how they do. So I think that the main thing, though, is that the thing we get wrong is we see ourselves in the sickness industry, not in the health industry
0: one of the things that i'm struck by in this conversation of global revenue as well as as your more holistic uh, view of responsibility is that it is the idea that healthcare maybe should be thought of and and delivered as a public good as opposed to just another industry or another business what would you feel about a financing system that looked at healthcare as a as a public good rather than as a commodity to be delivered piecemeal.
1: I think that words matter. And I think you're right on, Tom. I think saying healthcare is a right is not the way to go about doing this. I think framing the, the argument and framing the situation as a public good is really pretty brilliant. But defining healthcare as a public good is only the first step. We've got to operationalize it. And this is where the trouble comes in. We are not able to disrupt ourselves. If we're going to make changes as leaders in healthcare, we have to be willing to disrupt our industry. If we don't do it, if we don't disrupt our, ourselves, there's going to be a breaking point where healthcare is just gets too unbearable for the population, healthcare costs, and Congress is going to act even as dysfunctional as it is. And so either we disrupt ourselves and fix this problem, or Congress is going to do something to fix this problem. And that, to me, goes back to the old saying, it is better to be at the table than to be on the table. And we're about to be eaten on this table if we don't fix this ourselves.
0: We've been, uh, we've been talking about things together for the better part of 25 years, and, and I, I, I can't agree with you more. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced as, as I get older that we need to be involved rather than waiting for the payment system to provide an incentive for us to act. We need to lead. I think we need to embrace an, a new way of financing things as an industry rather than waiting for it to be done to us. I couldn't agree with you more. I'd like to close with one question that I think uh, folks probably wouldn't think to ask you. Um, that comes from the fact that I know something about you that they don't, and that's that you're an inventor. So I'm going to ask you a question uh, and and give you an opportunity to tell me, uh, what is a wickle?
1: <laughs> oh, that's an interesting question. A, um, a wickle is a wickedly delicious... Pickle short for wickles, and uh, it's a pickle that my wife and I started making over 30 years ago and then commercialized and then sold the company to some of her cousins about eight or nine years ago, maybe 10 years ago. Uh, you can find them in about I think they're sold in 9,000 locations in all 50 states. They're uh a little bit hot and a little bit sweet. And uh, people love them. We've had a lot of fun with them. I don't know what else to say about them.
0: <laughs> well, I what I know you know is now that you and I chatted a, a little while ago, uh, my wife Sandy and I have um, been married for 42 years, but we started dating when we were freshmen in high school. And uh, long ago, before I could afford anything extravagant for Valentine's Day. Instead of getting her uh, chocolates, I used to get her pickles. And so for 42 uh, consecutive Valentine's Days, I've always gotten her pickles for a gift. And this year, I'm pleased to tell you, Will, that sitting at home waiting for her to open them is a case of wickles. So I'll be able to tell you shortly uh, how much she enjoys those as well.
1: Well, I, I hope she does. I'm sure she will, actually. I've, I've not met anybody that that doesn't like them yet. Uh, that does say that you're pretty cheap if all you've been buying your wife <laughs> for, for uh, Valentine's is a jar of, of pickles. I mean, I don't know how much cheaper you can get.
0: <laughs> will, you've been a thought leader for the industry for decades, and you've been a friend of mine for uh, for most of that time. I'm thrilled that our listeners have had a chance uh, to hear your thoughts. Thanks again for being with us. You're a great pal.
1: And I feel the same about you, Tom. You are you're have taught me so much over the years. I look forward to your research studies every year.
0: Well, you're wonderful, and I appreciate it so much. And thank you for listening in. We hope you find these conversations to be thought-provoking, and we look forward to welcoming you back for a future Crosswinds. I'm Tom Robertson. Until then.